The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Grace Jones, Bloodlight and Bammy. This new documentary is a portrait as stylish and unconventional as its larger-than-life subject. Vice calls it, quote, a sparkling example of how to document our icons, end quote. Pull up to the theater, baby. Grace Jones, Bloodlight and Bammy is coming to select cities starting April 13th. Hello and welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Violet Luca and I'm the digital producer. Every year, the True Falls Film Fest turns Columbia, Missouri into a home away from home for nonfiction filmmakers from across the globe. In March, Film Comment Editor-in-Chief Nicholas Rapold moderated the festival's late-night post-fest wrap-up at Café Berlin. Nick was joined by senior programmer at BAM Cinematheque Ashley Clark, Mara Gord Mercado, the director of Montreal DocFest's RIDM, Taylor Montague, freelance critic and programmer, and two programmers at True False who have also contributed to Film Comment, Chris Bachman and Abby Sun. The conversation dives right in with Rock Bichek's film, The Family, a documentary that was shot over the course of 10 years about a young man who is the only non-developmentally challenged member of his family. Here's Nick, Rock, and Mara. For those of us just joining us, either physically or mentally, we've just been talking about The Family with the director, Rock Bichek. And uh, it just had its... You know, had a couple, few screenings here in uh, the True False Fest. Very good movie to see. You should catch up with it. Rock, do you want? I'm curious, Rock. How do you summarize the family? How do you? Twenty words or less. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a story of of a young boy. Um, he was 14 when I started following his his life, and uh, this journey lasts for 10 years. And he was, in a way, special because he was uh, raised in a family where he was the only normal person. So his parents and older brother were all mentally challenged. He was different inside the family, and because of the fact that he was living in this special family, he was also different from his peers. So he was always an alien in all situations. And I think that he, he desperately wanted to have a normal family once. And um, when he was 19, he... He became a father, and it all looks that he will be able to have uh, a new normal family. But it's never like this in, in any movie. It's always more complicated, and uh, that's how our story actually begins. Yeah. And, I mean, so the family, the movie, I'm talking about the movie now, the family, it's, it's not told, like, you don't start with him at age you know, 14 and then go year by year, you kind of, you, you take a psychological path through his life and, and you kind of choose sort of moods and moments from his life as they connect each other. Can you, can you talk a bit about how you, you, you put the movie together in a non-linear way? Uh, yeah, we, we, we were forced to, to jump back and forth in order to tell this story because... Uh, I mean, it was not scripted, so uh, if this would be a fiction movie, I would just uh, write a scene where I could explain certain things and this would be quite easy. So, But now I was like uh, a hunter who was waiting for, for a deer to come. Uh, and sometimes nothing happened and sometimes I was not there when something important happened. So. I, I never had uh, all informations in one place, so that's why I had to to improvise. Like I'm now improvising at two in the morning. I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm You're not, doing great. I'm still alive. You're still alive. Yeah, that's our. That's kind of our um, slogan. We're still alive. Can I just say that I love the metaphor you used for filming, where you say that you're a hunter waiting for a deer to come? I think it's fantastic. That's the way how, how I felt uh, when I was there. Uh, because I, was, I spent 10 years with them, and I never knew when something interesting for the movie will happen. So I was there camping with my camera in my hand, and um, I managed to... They shot a lot of good scenes, but 
there are also moments that were lost forever because I was not there, present. And some of them were not shot in a way that they could be in the movie because and it's because it's not in a fiction film uh, you have only one chance to shot it so if you do a mistake it's over it's over it's over and maybe it's, it's interesting to mention that um, all all scenes are shot in 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 one shot so in in long takes uh, which is in a way even more complicated to to do but uh, <clears throat> on the other hand you can have this um, additional dimension of time which is really important uh, element you have you have kind of different layers of time you have the time and about his life just generally you're you go between two or three phases in his life and then you have the time in, within each scene because they are like scenes each, and, and they are like little fragments sometimes out of his life. And even flashbacks, in a way, you have kind of flashbacks that you work in there. And it's such a great character study because as a character, some, in some ways he's helpless, but in other ways he's very determined and very focused. So as a character, he's, he's perfect to watch. You just want to see him and see what he does. He's a perfect character for a movie. Because yeah. wherever he, he is showing, uh, there is a problem, a conflict. Uh, he, he reminds me on a main character from the Darden Brothers movie, uh, A Child. That's right, uh, yeah, uh, that's true, yeah. It's the, this also the story is in a way similar, and the character, I mean, he's the same guy. Yeah. yeah. But let's talk about uh, a couple other movies that we've seen. Um, uh, Marod, if you want to pick one to start with. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, maybe let's start with uh, Zhang Munchi's film. Um, so that would be a self-portrait birth in uh, 47 kilometer, uh, a film by a Chinese director um, that I actually discovered here. It was one of the first films I saw and I thought it was so well done and so well crafted but also a film that pushes the audience to its limits um, in every scene. It's a film that really, where time, once again, you know, you were talking about time in Ruck's film, but um, in, in Self-Portrait also, time plays such a big role and you feel, as a member of the audience, that time passing by and the scenes really build and then stretch and stretch and until you feel like you can't take it anymore, and then something happens, and then it's like the, the gift at the end of the scene. So I, I thought it was brilliantly made. No, it's a beautiful film. And I'm just gonna step back for a second to describe it a little. It's, yes. it's, it's following a family in a rural China, and it kind of is switching between the older generation, like a, a grandmother, basically, and I admit I wasn't totally clear on the family relations totally, but there is a younger generation of like, I guess, children and grandchildren, and they're a farming family, and it's just, the movie kind of has these two tracks it's on. One track, it's following this, you know, amazing survivor or grandmother who is, she's been farming for decades, she's probably lived through like the cultural revolution, uh, and she gave birth to her children alone in the dark in a pig pen. Yeah, and also uh, it's, uh, it's really a, uh, a metaphor for the Great Famine in China, right? Right. So right. that's the, the other layer of the film that I think is very interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. It, it never, it's never said or never named specifically, right? right. In, in fact, that's, a, that's censored. Like in, in China, I guess you can't exactly refer to the famines. It's, it's totally, totally illegal. illegal. They, and there's some absurd euphemism for it that, that people use. Yeah, how, forget wh what, what was it, it again? I forget what it is. Ah. It's not good. It's uh, not good. We, we have an informant in the audience <laughs> who's feeding us lines. Exactly. Uh, we actually haven't even seen this movie. We're just kind of, <laughs> I'm just reading, 
I'm just reading body language here, just it's trying good. to. I'm sorry. No, it's I'm a kidding. Good film. I'm kidding. <laughs> I think the audience experience on this film is really interesting. Like the one I, I the screening I was at, there was some, I don't know, fidgeting. But at the end, they had a performance aspect to the movie. Yes. Which has kind of took it to another level. Uh, the filmmaker is, I guess, trained in ballet, I, I, I heard. Dance, yeah. A dance. Yeah. And when the movie proper is over, she, get, she does a beautifully choreographed routine in, in the theater involving a flashlight, in my case. And it's, it's just, it was so beautiful. And I, I noticed the person sitting next to me was just kind of unconsciously moving her hands. It was, it was a, it was a beautiful moment because the, the, the theater was totally dark, and you just have the the filmmaker focusing all attention on what she was doing, and she was like a ghost, you know, in the darkness. And yeah, she really she, she I mean the performance really added a layer to the film where you could really feel, and I think she she said as much that it was for us to really feel the hunger and the, the, the time also, so. I'm gonna attempt a segue here. So everyone please pay attention to the segue. Okay, segue coming the up. The segue is countries. How do we talk about where we're from and, and, and how do we come to grips with who we are? And that's my segue to Black, Black Mother. Mother. You see? This is, why they, this is why they pay me the big bucks. <laughs> I'm getting paid thousands of dollars an hour to be up here. <laughs> I'm just telling you that in the interest of full disclosure, <laughs> that I'm literally making, I think I've already made like three or $400,000 so far. <laughs> so uh, just so you know. Now, Black Mother, I, I would call this a very highly anticipated movie for, for um, I don't know, the documentary fans movie fans. Uh, it's by Kalikala. Um, he had an, a superb first feature that... Absolutely. Speaking of power, I'm actually feel uncomfortable saying the title. I'll just say that openly because, it, you know, I don't know. Just because this is something I noticed, for example, programmer Chris Bachman, when he announced the title of the first movie, he referred to it as Field N-Words. And oh. I was struck by that gesture. Okay. But just mentioning that. But the new movie is easy to describe. Yes, it is, it is and you, I think we can name the I title. Can, I can yeah. say this one. Black Mother is, uh, so the filmmaker, uh, his, you know, he, he has uh, ancestry in Jamaica. Uh, I guess grandparents. His grandfather appears in the film. And, uh, and it's basically, it's kind of a journey uh, into Jamaica, what, you know, and, and particularly uh, women, womanhood, femininity, um, and the country. Um, you should, looks like you want to take it away here, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I really saw the film as a, a love letter to Jamaica and to the women of, of Jamaica, and also like a way for him to, uh, to really get to know uh, that side of him and this culture that he is part of in some way, but because he wasn't born on the island and doesn't live there, so he's kind of a foreigner in his own country. And I, yeah, it really felt like a very... Uh, moving love letter to Jamaica. Yeah. And yeah. there was a lot of... Um, I mean, he was able to show difficult images and uh, people who are in all states uh, and from all walks of life with a lot of dignity and, uh, um, you know, a gaze that has a lot of love in it. So... Yeah. No, he's... I mean, he's a brilliant, you know... I guess you could say street photographer for one thing. And yes. so he takes that ability to his photography there in Jamaica to, to establish this real connection with everyone he talks to, you know, I mean, and he's talking to, you know, he's talking to school kids who are at church. He's talking to, you know, his, uh, grandfather. his grandfather, he's talking to prostitutes. He's talking to uh, shopkeepers and, and kind of vendors. 
And he's just, you're, you can just tell by the way they respond to the camera, the way they're present for the camera, and also the way they're, you know, really open about really private parts of their lives and, and their feelings, um, that he has a real special talent. And, you know, it always helps when you're also like a genius <laughs> photographer because he's also shooting that whole time. And there's an audio aspect to the whole movie. So you have all these, you know, beautiful and complicated images of Jamaica and the countryside. And you also have this whole tapestry, like this audio tapestry that he's also crafted, uh, which is partly it's interviews he's done with people and... And Parsley he just sounds. Parsley also? just sounds, yeah. yeah, yeah. And sometimes he's using reverb. Uh, I'm sure he could do much more with this mic than I'm doing right now, for example. <laughs> um, and he said something really beautiful, um, Kilikala, in the introduction. He said that um, I'm going to mangle it, but he was. He said that basically he made a gallery out of the audio. And then the images were pictures, were paintings that he then put up in that gallery of sound he had. Yeah, I thought that was a beautiful way to explain his work and the fact that he, he really uh, takes the audio and works on the audio on one side and then works on the image on the other side. And then he blends the two together and they're, they're not synchronized, but it works so well and it, it adds even more depth to the, to the film and the story that we're seeing. Yeah. Um, and um, I just, as a side note, this, is, this, has been, this movie has the second live birth, uh, including Rock's film, <laughs> also has a live birth. So maybe we can just have a sidebar here for a second where we talk about the process of shooting a live birth, which seems, which is, yeah, Rock, Talk about it. How to shoot <laughs> a live birth. Yeah. It's a moment of great intimacy. And uh, yeah, how do you feel that you're, you're, you're capturing that, that moment? You know, do you... And, yeah. Actually, actually I, I, the doctor uh, didn't allow me to, to enter the room. I mean, I, I had all the papers. But uh, at that night, there was one really strict doctor. And he said, you have... Uh, uh, the papers that allow you to be present in the moment when the kid will be born. But so no, no earlier? Not earlier. So we will, we will call you in. And <laughs> that, that literally happened, you know, that uh, I entered the, the birth room uh, 30 seconds before the first frame in the movie starts. So I didn't have time to, to think about it uh, because I was under a big amount of adrenaline. So I just entered the room and I, and I stopped at the, the spot where I, made, where I made the first step and that was the position of the camera. And I didn't uh, have time to adjust any lights, luckily, because now the, the scene is in a way, it's shot wrong, but it's, it's, it's the best as it is because it's overexposed uh, in the center. So the, the, the child is, born out of the out of the white out of the overexposed uh, which is in a way a really nice metaphor for yeah. for everything and um, that's really interesting to hear that that's that because I noticed that effect and at first I thought that was you know it's sort of uh, you know censorship right but it's actually like an unintentional it's like the it's like the child itself like burned a hole into, into the film or something because it's it's literally the most dramatic event you could possibly capture. It's, it's, Is it? I'm, I don't know. From my perspective, the creation of life. Traumatic? No, no, dramatic. Oh, dramatic. No, I'm I mean, sorry. I'm sure it's traumatic for 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 the mother. I mean, it's very <laughs> painful. I just, but no, I meant dramatic. It's like, um, yeah, dramatic. Okay. I'm yeah. It's. I mean, it's also a beautiful way to start the film because, um, you know, it, it shows the way you're going to film things in a way because you have the four, you, your movie, The Family, has a lot of work on foreground and background and, and you have like big things happening in the foreground. But you can also see in the background how um, Matei is very comforting 
of, of his girlfriend. And I don't know, it's just one of those examples where you have a couple of layers. You know, you can see him supporting her. Yeah, I would say that definitely the movie is better when you uh, see it for the second time because you can um, uh, you can focus yourself uh, on on those uh, layers that are under the the basic storyline, uh, yeah. which is quite demanding to follow from time to time because uh, there is so many things going on and uh, I'm not underlining them. Uh, because everything is in those wide shots, long takes, and uh, you have to choose your own focus. Going back to to childbirth. Oh yes, back to childbirth. <laughs> another oh, segue. Yes. <laughs> back to Black Mother. Oh, Black Mother. Yes. Um, where actually the the film ends with the birth of a, a child, yes. and it it's in a way it's done in a very peaceful way because you you start by hearing. Uh, the the sounds of the room where uh, this woman is giving birth, but what you see are the images of waves and water all over yeah. the island, and I think it's a very beautiful way to put what uh, giving life is, you know, like the rhythm of the water and the rhythm of the the waves, and then you go back into the room where you actually see the the child being yeah. born. And yeah. once again, it's something that could have been a bit voyeur. I don't know how you say that uh, in English. Voyeuristic. Voyeuristic. Yeah. Uh, but it, it feels there's so much um, love, once again, there. that and, and you can feel the trust also from the subject yeah. towards Kalik. Yeah. And I think that's what makes the, the difference. I agree, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, like, it's, a, it's like the total... It's a moment of total trust and love uh, and, and total life, too, because you have this creation of life. And, and the, yeah, the waves, the use of the wave imagery, uh, it, that's also one where it's almost a, a trick of the framing he does. It just becomes this like hypnotic effect yeah. of the waves. So, Black Mother, see it hopefully at a theater near you at some point in the next year or two, I, I hope. So. We are just been joined by the guest programmer for this year's True False Film Fest, uh, programmer of the Neither Nor series. Can you just give a little one-liner intro for yourself? Uh, my name is Ashley Clark. I'm the senior programmer of cinema at BAM in Brooklyn, Brooklyn Academy of Music. Uh, and I've programmed the uh, Black Audio Film Collective retrospective at True False, which concluded today and was a lot of fun. Yes. It was indeed awesome, that is correct. And I, I saw Twilight City yesterday, which is about as much of a punch you can pack into a 40-minute, 45-minute film. What did, you, what did you like about it? I liked the... Well, I'm a sucker for synths, for one thing. Synthman. Synthman, yeah. I'm a sucker for, like, sheet metal synthesizers that are just coating you. Um, but, and then I'm also a sucker for urban, I mean, it was interesting hearing afterwards that he was influenced by Calvino. Yeah. So the director, Reese, um, was, was very influenced by I Italo Calvino's Invisible Cities. This is a film, like all of Black Audio Film Collective's films in this program, were made in the Thatcher era in Britain. So from, she was in power from 79 to 92. Two, I think. So all the films in this program fall within that remit. So all of them are in dialogue with the right-wing repressive regime that she created, and they're all very progressive, interesting, formally daring works of art. And they're interesting because they were making this work at, at, at such a conservative time, so it stands out even more. They were also revenue-funded, so there was a, a confluence of factors that came together and made them to, to allowed them to make this work. They, they were paid to do it. You know, there was funding bodies that were there for them. And that's kind of a unique moment in, in British film history. Yeah, and I mean, as, as he pointed out in, in the introductions, it's also crazy to think that this was on TV. Like, I guess you could just... Yeah, absolutely. So Channel 4 television was, surprise, surprise, the fourth um, terrestrial TV channel that launched in Britain in 1982. 
and that had a very specific remit to um, to platform independent and progressive work alongside some more commercial stuff. So what what made this work? Not the fact that it was just made, but that there was a platform for it. And a lot of this work is radical avant-garde stuff inspired by early Soviet cinema, Derek Jarman. And this is going out to a national audience of yeah. potentially millions of people in the UK. Yeah, I mean, it's so it's... I mean, it's something comparable to how, you know, the, the films of Alan Clark were being shown on t TV. I mean, the idea that you could turn on British television and watch, you know, Elephant... And then, and then decide, I don't want to watch Elephant and change channels and maybe Twilight City would be on It's, it's insane to think of that today. And, and yeah. that, that adds a, a level of poignancy, I think, to watching these films because you know that you're watching uh, remnants or elements of a, of a disappeared era. Uh, and it was particularly wonderful to, to have some of the guys from the collective here to reflect on the work, some of which they had not themselves seen for a while. And they, you know, they're an older generation. You know, these are guys in their 50s and 60s now. And because this festival skews quite young. Yeah, can you just give, it, give us the names of the filmmakers? Uh, so here? Uh, the collective is John Acumfra, who's the most regular director. Trevor Matheson, the sound designer, who's, who's been here. Rhys Auguist, uh, who's another director. Lena Gopal, uh, Eddie George, Claire Joseph, uh, David Lawson. And if I forget someone, I do apologize. Did you, did you mention the music mastermind? Trevor Mavison. Trevor Mavison, yeah. yes, Trevor Mavison okay, who's yeah. been here. And, and it's been great for me. Like, a big part of it has been to see these guys out at parties, talking to uh, students of the University of, of Missouri and yeah. talking to young film critics. And people at this festival are so engaged with questions of form and ethics and, and, and the, the relationship between sound and editing. Yeah. And just to actually be here to watch them having these conversations has been really special. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, mean, I should say that I encountered uh, Hansworth songs in an academic context. And, you know, let's just say it's much better seeing it in a film festival with like an actual audience of people who are willingly there <laughs> and are, can be in dialogue with it. And, you know, some of them studying filmmaking and documentary journalism, it's just a really fertile, place to, to show well, these films. The thing is, it, it, it is fiercely intellectual work. And it's, cut, you know, the, the, the influences that it comes from are so myriad and in depth. But I don't think the work is inaccessible. Some of the writing about the work tends toward the inaccessible. It can be a bit too academic and it can, can alienate. But a big part of this, this process for me has been to try and make the work accessible, contextualize it in a if not a fun way, you know, because these films do deal with serious issues, but in a way that is relatable and that doesn't shut anyone out. And I think that's really important with any, um, with any form of curation or even broadcasting. I had the, the, the title of the festival, True False, in my mind. So I wanted to make sure that all of the films that I picked reflected in some respect that slippage between fiction and non-fiction. Um, so three of the films, Testament, Who Needs a Heart, and Twilight City both integrate that kind of, there's a fictional character who is at the center of the work, but all of them integrate archive footage and real history and have the fictional character in dialogue with that history. Um, another question here is, you know, the, the context of what they were doing, particularly with Hansworth songs, is they're looking at the way that questions of race, racism, immigration had been um, addressed and demonstrated in mainstream media, which presents itself as truth, as objective truth. So the BBC, it's the national broadcaster, which kind of works in conjunction with governments and, and the archives, and you end up with so-called official records. So these films are using poetic strategies to um, question that, that objective truth and create new narratives. So I think as a whole, these four films that I picked fit really well into the whole idea of true-false. Thank you. Well said. Um, and, I, and I just want to add that they also, by design or not, they're in really great dialogue with the new films that are in the festival. Well, particularly Black Mother Especially and Black Hale Mother, County, which we were just talking yeah. about, yeah. Which are, are doing kind of really interesting things in, again, developing new strategies. Like, Ramel's film comes out the block straight away and says, 
I can't remember the quote because I saw it back at Sundance, but it's about how do you frame the black image? Yeah. So he's using framing with both text on screen, but also using um, archive footage of Burt Williams, the, right. the, the great kind of vaudevillian performer, to literally frame sequences yeah. of him as a director imposing on the frame, right. talking to someone who's not a filmmaker, but encouraging him to be a filmmaker because anyone can do it. So it's just layer upon layer. and, and in terms of sound design and image. And yeah, it's a really nice dialogue with what Black Audio are doing. Yeah, and just we, uh, Ash is just talking about Ramel Ross's Hale County this morning, this evening, uh, which I hope, I hope you caught as well. Yes, it was, it was indeed amazing. I, I loved it. It's just a... I, I, it's a yeah, great piece of work. It's a great, it's a great piece of work. And it's, and it's so different as well from so many documentaries, it's just this beautiful, like, I don't even want to call it impressionistic, because whenever I say something's impressionistic, I start imagining, like, you know, Seurat, like, dabbing paint on something, you know? It's like... It's not, Monet. Yeah. Um, although, I did think of the, I did think of, like, impressionist painters a bit when I was watching Self-Portrait, just because you had these long shots of people in, in a field or on a, on a hillside, and I thought, you know what, I'm... Is it getting kind of slow, getting kind of bored by this? And then I tried to think about what's the difference between those shots of the field and the farm and, you know, I don't know, like Van Gogh's, I'm going to forget a title here, but a Van Gogh picture of a, of a, yeah. But the difference is that this is, is, is I guess, two things, movement and duration, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. And also her, her use, well, not use, but the way she films the light. Yes, yeah. It also adds to the impression of being in a painting. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Welcome. Hi. Have a seat. Do you mind if I introduce... Please do, yes. Please do. Uh, the, the one and only... Uh, oh, God. The, the one and only Taylor Montague, a very talented critic and curator um, who's doing some really interesting stuff at the Alamo in, in Yonkers, I believe, and, and uh, we'll talk eloquently about um, what she's seen and, and enjoyed. Absolutely. Hi, I like to hear myself talk, so I want to be on here. <laughs> Chris was like, do you want to do it? And I was like, hell yeah. That's a good reason to be here. It's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up? So what, what, oh, what okay. movies? What, what did you love? I love Shakedown. That was like my favorite. Shakedown. Okay. Yeah. Well, talk to us about Shakedown. Tell us for the like listener who won't know what oh, Shakedown is okay. about. Shakedown yeah. is a documentary by Lila Weinrob about a black lesbian strip club in Los Angeles in the early 2000s. And it kind of takes you through the different dancers that were there and like why the club kind of um, went under due to like police pressure and things like that. And I like the intimacy that she had with the subjects in the film. I like the fact that it was like a time capsule of the early 2000s down to like the opening credits, which was super duper amazing. And I just like seeing like the trajectory of the different characters. It was like really personable and I liked it a lot. So that's yeah. the one I've been like rooting for and championing and like telling everyone they have to see. Yeah, no, I, 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 I like that film as well. I, it's another movie where, I mean, we were just talking about Black Mother and how Kalikala uh, establishes this connection with all of his subjects. And that's another movie I feel where you always feel like you're, you're not, you're not like watching. It's not voyeuristic. You're not like you're. You feel more like you're within the community. You can tell it's the result of like years and years. Intimacy. Of, yeah. Yeah. It's not voyeuristic. The subject yeah. matter, despite it probably people trying to sensationalize it, like oh, a black lesbian strip club. It, it treats the subjects very well, precisely because she was in that world. No one else could have made that film. Like, no one else could have made that film. And that's, like, really important. That's why I've been telling everyone about it. I loved it a lot. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Grace Jones, Bloodlight and Bammy. This new documentary is a portrait as stylish and unconventional as its larger-than-life subject. Writing for the New York Times in a Critics' Pick review, Wesley Morris says, quote, In a movie about someone who has shown you everything, what you're looking for is something you've never expected to see. Bloodlight and Bammy delivers, end quote. Grace Jones, Bloodlight and Bammy is now playing at the Film Society of Lincoln Center, Metrograph, and BAM, and coming soon to select cities nationwide. I did a lot. Black Mother, what did you, you guys spoke about it? What did you guys think? I, I think that the panel decided we liked the movie. Like <laughs> okay. <laughs> you didn't we're, like it? We're, oh, no, don't say that. I, I like the movie. I like the movie. I like the movie. Yeah, a lot. 
Yeah, yeah we're uh, we're accentuating the positive while we're, we're yeah. Up I here. know some people had some problems about yeah. the way um, you know Kalik filmed women as as a man and the fact yeah. that in the film um, the the sound you hear it's a lot of men speaking about women, um, but I, I was telling Nick earlier that I feel it's also a cultural thing. Well, yeah, um, I mean, I had a conversation with someone after the film, and I, I could see both sides of that, but I also thought, if I'm meeting the filmmaker on his terms, and I know his background, and I know his history, then I understand why it's filmed that way. You know, he's a five percenter. These are things you can't separate from the work. So it's like, I'm not saying those are useless critiques, because they're not. They're valid critiques, but... It has to go deeper than just, that's misogynistic, that's sexism. Like, we have to explore the root of why he's employing that gaze, you know? And just, just to add to that, something that's great about this festival is the proximity that we, as curators and critics, have with the filmmakers. And I think Taylor's absolutely right that it, it does not make sense to separate the man from, no, from, from, his, from his perspective and what's up on screen. It seems to me like if you spend some time with Kalik, you can see the absolute purity of, of his vision on screen coming straight from who he is. It was very powerful for me as, as a Jamaican to see uh, parts of that country on screen in a way that I've not seen rendered before. It's very exciting as well to see a follow-up from Field Niggers, which just shows the development. I'm not too into the whole auteur theory, but maybe that's because it's so rooted in whiteness. But to see black auteurs coming through excites me in a way. So that, that creates a, a, a strange um, counter-narrative in my mind. Because I sat there thinking, yes, this, the brother is developing his own style, and I'm excited by it. And you can really see the, um, I don't know if that would be the correct term, but the relationship between his photographic work, his first film, yeah. Phil Niggas, and then this one, Black Mother. And you can really see a growth in, in how he so. expresses... An addition of layers. So, so the base layers, the, the kind of, the one, two, three layers are there. But in this film, he's added like four, five, and six. And there's a real depth to that. And he's entering into conversations with other filmmakers and genres and styles. Agreed, yes. <laughs> and I think he's also, you know, he's very open to rethink his work with what the audience gives back to him as a feedback. And he really takes those comments and really continues to develop his thinking about his film and what it means to different people. And I find that very um, intelligent. Yeah. Agreed. I like the idea that he's kind of living in his truth with his, with his work, like this is what I made and how it is. But thank you for the comments or whatever that people are giving so he can like build upon that in his next film, you know? like. He's very young. This is, he's very young. This is like the beginning of, you know, an overarching body of work that, you know, I'm interested to see what he makes five, ten years from now. You know, this is like just the beginning. It's a learning process. And you're like watching it in real time. And I think that's like very honest in a way that we don't see, you know? Absolutely. Let's talk about more movies. I, I think one, let's talk about a medium length film. Often, maybe you know where I'm going with this, Mara, but... Often we just talk about features, so I just want to give a chance since so much of this festival pays a lot of attention to short films and medium length films. Uh, and the one I had in mind was Antonio e Catarina. A film that I saw this afternoon. Okay, well, Antonio e Catarina, um, <laughs> we, people are leaving because of it. <laughs> He has to go. Farewell, farewell, Ashley. Goodbye. Thank you. So yeah, Antonio yeah. and Catarina, c coming back to this film, um, I mean, it's the, a, a young woman filming a man that's, you know, older, in his 70s, I think, and end of his 60s at the beginning of the film and then well into his 70s. And it's the developing relationship between this young woman and this older man. And I think it's very interesting the way that she develops that kind of friendship, but you're not sure if it is a friendship and how it plays out. And I think it, the relationship means something different to him and to her. 
and it's really just like a, a, a moment in time where two people get to know each other. Yeah, it's... I haven't seen a movie quite like this in, I, I mean, I, in a long time. I mean, it's, it's like she's... The movie consists of basically a close-up uh, and close-ups of, of an older guy and and it's a, a you know a female filmmaker kind of mostly it's him kind of giving monologues these kind of sort of pitiful monologues uh honestly and she's answering you know and he's asking questions you kind of wish he wasn't asking about you know about her sexuality sexuality and and, yeah. and, and she's you know politely sometimes with humor answering things and there, you know, there comes a moment where she, then she's in the frame a little bit. It's like an essay on, I don't know what, an essay on, on desire, on, yeah. And, and, and it's, it's actually, the film I thought about when I was watching it was another film that's showing here, Cannibal. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, which I can tell is very popular in the audience. <laughs> It's a real crowd pleaser. I mean, it's such, it, that film just panders to all the people who love cannibals. It's just so shameless. It's so shameless. I'm kidding. But the, I thought of Cannibal when I was watching Antonio e Catarina because uh, that use of the close-up and the, and the use of the like uncomfortably intimate kind of close-up and the feeling that you're like, you can almost smell them. <laughs> you know. Yeah, right, right. You're, you're blocked in with them. You're locked in with them. Uh, and this feeling, this feeling of flesh in both of them as well, and, and desire and forbidden desire. So that's the connection between those two. I mean, it's a very different movie. This, is, this, is a, this, this guy, as far as I know, hasn't eaten, eaten anyone. It felt like a fever dream, genuinely. Like, when I was watching the film, there were moments where, like, I was closing my eyes because it was, like, Intense, and Are I would we wake talking up. Talking about cannibal? Cannibal, oh. yeah. Oh, we're back to cannibal. Oh yeah, now. cannibal. Yeah, I was closing my eyes because it was intense, <laughs> yeah. and I would kind of like muster up the courage, look at the screen again, and it felt like I was going in and out of like consciousness a little bit. Like, whoa, this is this is real. He's really like mutilating himself, and there felt like some kind of like underlying brotherly competition. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I noticed that. It was like yeah. he was upset that his brother wasn't surprised yeah. at his own kind of transgressions and he kind of wanted that acknowledgement and that like support in it I feel like and he didn't get it and it bothered him so it was strange in that way yeah there's there's definitely a in Canada there's that there's almost a strain of humor to that as well that it's like two brothers one brother is jealous for attention and he just can't be as extreme as his, his other brother like it's hard to compete compete with cannibalism he's like the best that he has is masochism. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like, come on, isn't that good enough? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's fascinating because you do realize that they, they, they're, like two, they're like two halves, you know, like they're yin and yang almost, you know, like the cannibal is like a sadist <laughs> in a way, and the other brother is a masochist. It's almost like a punchline anyway. I don't know. One uh, definitely cannot live without the other. I right. would not be surprised if I like heard that they died at the same time. Right. Yeah. You like, know what I mean? Like dead ringers or something, right? Yeah. They're gonna be discovered. Yeah. Like holding hands. Holding hands. <laughs> That's creepy. Yeah. Right. The whole yeah. movie is creepy. That's the least creepy part about yeah. this whole scenario. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What you were saying also just about the feel of it, the fever dream. It's like narcotic. That movie, Cannibal. It's like, you know, it's uh, it's it's strangely mesmerizing. Just. This feeling of it's time slowing down, you know, it's, it's, it's remarkable. But just to jump back to uh, Antonio, it, uh, I mean, that movie also works on the level of, uh, I, I don't know, I saw, I saw a lot of sad men <laughs> at <Yes>. this festival. <laughs> um, sad old men. And I feel like he's very, like, the, the more the film goes on, the needier he gets. And she's kind of like, uh, how do you say that? Like, roping him in, yeah. in, a, in a sense. But she know. also says at one point in the film that she finds him mysterious, which I kind of understand, you know. He, there's some flashes here and there 
when he talks about the books that he used to have and what he used to read, and then he quotes these French authors and right, he throws off like a Balzac quote. Balzac, and then he sings this French song and you know translates it for her. It's like a courtship, and he's trying to court her in a very old-fashioned way, but also very—I don't want to say naive, but yeah. Yeah, he's he's a bit out of date, I think. For a typical audience reaction to that film is um, a strong sense of like the predatory from the director um, towards the towards Augusta Antonio. Like what I've been hearing at a lot of while attending um, audience Q and As is that like people ask if she's exploiting him, and that seems to be like a kind of knee jerk reaction. Um, so. She also, I mean, she needs him also, right? You're saying that uh, a lot of the audience members um, think that she's exploiting him? Yes. But I feel like it, it's an exchange, like they both need... I don't know, I didn't hear the Q&A, but I, uh, to me the film felt like he was getting something out of her and she was getting something out of him. Sure, I'm not saying that that is the my interpretation of the film, but that does seem to be like a popular interpretation. And there is something about this film, I mean, I completely agree with you. Like, it's, like how else is this old man going to be able to spend so much time with this beautiful young woman? And also just company, like he feels very lonely. He says so himself, right? That he, he fucked his life and that... Uh, he's alone and blah, 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 and she brings company to him, right? Of course, yes, and they have in this entire conversation about friendship at the end, and, like, they actually, like, demonstrate that in the very last scene as well. I mean, I mean, th there's also just to step back, I mean, it's a movie that's also clearly in dialogue with a whole history of cinema, <laughs> more or less, which is, you know, largely men shooting women you know, in a lot of cases, taking advantage of that, the power dynamic of controlling the view that you have of the person on screen. Um, and this is a, you know, Antonio and Caterina is a, is a very intelligent and, um, you know, shrewd reworking of that, interrogation of that. Um, so it's, 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 it's also just, it's more than just like a novel, intimate, portrait. I, I also feel like she's pretty consciously in dialogue with, with, with other films, you know, and to say the tables are turned doesn't really capture it because she's doing something smarter than that. Uh, the filmmaker, Christina Hanesh, is doing much more uh, than that. So all that, and to just go full circle, all that and in less than 50 minutes. It's something 40 exactly. 40 exactly. Yeah. So yeah, a shout out to the less than 45-minute films in this. I had another film. Actually, I ran into the filmmaker outside the ragtag earlier. He directed Baby Brother. Kumal Bilal. Yes. So he directed Baby Brother. I wanted to mention that film because it's a beautiful short film about uh, his younger brother, and not a second is wasted in that movie. And it's just a, yeah, that's another great short film. So, we are, I think, winding down here, at least up here. I'm sure everyone here is going to be awake for the next 19 hours. But we're slowly, our, our creative powers are, are deserting us. Yes, well, we are almost ending our own task, Segway. I think we might have a couple more movies we can go through, I don't know. Any, any movie that we at least just want to mention? I just want to mention Flight of a Bullet. Yeah, I just want to do a shout out for the Flight of the Bullet uh, because it's a, it's a movie, it's a single shot. The filmmaker, is, it starts with her on a bridge that's recently been blown up uh, in the Ukraine as part of the fighting going on there. And then she follows a, a Ukraine soldier, rebel, fellow. Uh, she's taken in a car with him, and then they go to their home base, and then 
it kind of takes a, a, a detour just into following a guy who's on a phone. Speaking of sad men, this, this infantryman is on the phone with his girlfriend and just, try, trying to, just trying to guilt trip her and make her feel terrible. He's engaging in emotional warfare. So that's kind of the neat way that the movie cuts in two, because you go into like the daily, just kind of daily aggressions and, and, this, and the daily life of these soldiers. Like filmmaking, war is often very boring uh, when it's not really exciting. Uh, and that's what the second half is kind of partly about. Um, and so I think it's a movie I also got maddened by, but I also think is brilliant. Also partly has this accidental, not accidental, that's unfair, but there is like the genius of chance in it because there's this 82 odd minute section of reality that she chose out of tens of hundreds of footage. And then, and that boundary of like, of events and, and feelings and, and everything uh, happens to be like a perfect film. <laughs> it also morphs in the end, like past the cell phone conversation with this that soldier has with his girlfriend. It also, when when then the director um, returns to the base, it it moves into, to me actually the most interesting part of the film, which is her negotiating her access and her relationship with the other soldiers at the base in like their bed barracks essentially. Um, which, like, speaking of, like, women negotiating access with male subjects, I mean, this takes us back to Antonio e. Caterina. But I feel like it's done in such a different way in Flight of a Bullet. Of yeah, it's, it's um, I mean, there it's the element of violence, you know, that's there. I mean, that, I mean, that's another aspect of the film, just, like, there's an undercurrent that she might be, you know, killed, or, or that's on the table at all times, you know, even though I guess she's supposedly part, she's, like, there videographer i don't know i guess ukrainian squads might have a videographer or something i mean she says that at one point or something like that but i know she's she was just allowed to shoot i asked her about that's why i wish you were here to elaborate on it i i don't know that i fully understood what her relationship was but at any rate there is the undertone of you know joking not joking you know being being in a place alone with you know 20s bored soldiers it's it never really a very comfortable place to be. What's kind of exhilarating, though, is that you don't have much context for this movie, which is kind of why I don't want her there for any conversations revolving around it, because I think it's much richer to debate what happens in this movie and who she is, based on just this like little slice of what you're given. But I'll spoil it a little bit to a degree to say that something that uh, we found out through other interviews and conversations with her is that she was actually kidnapped by this group of men that she spends time with prior to her filming with them. And so the film itself has a kidnapping in it. That, in a sense, is like something that... That's just like something she herself was already a part of prior to that. So it's like she's capturing someone else's trauma that she herself already experienced in this movie. Um, wow. But, but yeah, I think one of the most exciting things about that movie, or the, the, the things that's like really stimulating, I shouldn't say exciting, is that you're watching it and you're wondering if she might be on the wrong side of history while she's filming it, because she seems to be very complicit with what's happening in front of you, and you don't have very much context about whether or not, whether or not this sort of kidnapping that happens at the beginning is, like, at all uh, morally acceptable. There's no, the moral boundaries of this movie are very complicated and unexplained, and you're trying to assess them over the course of the runtime. And I don't even think you're, you leave the film with a clear understanding of what's right and wrong, uh, which is, again, like probably fitting for a film about war. But that's not that. But so going into the film, I didn't know about the kidnapping part of it because you don't actually see it in the film, right? Uh, you, you you don't see that part. I mean, you just the film starts and she's on the bridge already, having developed a relationship with this uh, soldier Ruslan, right? Um, but to me, it, it really felt uh, as almost as a theater play, you know, because of the camera. There, the the men or the soldiers are kind of acting. There's a lot of uh, bravado, bravado. Um, and it almost feels, you know, the whole phone call. I'm sure that's the way he talks to his girlfriend on the phone, etc. But I feel like he's also putting on a show for the, for the camera. And 
I don't know, it really felt like a theater play because you had like Ruslan, who was a character where he's a protector. She goes up, she goes back to him over and over again, you know, because he's the one that makes her feel safe. That's what I took from him, from it. And then you have the whole gallery of other characters that are each playing like a stereotype of the soldier. You know, you have the young one that's kind of cute and that is always hitting on her. And then you have the other one that's violent, but you don't really know why he's so like worked up and violent. And then, you know, you have like very specific characters for each of those soldiers. And I feel like it's, it felt very staged to me in, in a certain way. You, so you mean, do you mean it felt staged or you think it actually was partly staged? Um, some parts of it, like, it's hard for me to say. I re as, a, as a member of the audience, I really received it as some, something that had parts that were staged. Hmm. Or maybe not staged per se, but that she might have asked, can you exaggerate this or can you redo this or can you, you know, some of it. Yeah. No, I mean, I, yeah, that's... This, I wonder if this is a chance to, to breathe life back into rock because we were just talking about staging and the idea of staging action a little. I mean, as a filmmaker, how, how do you approach that? I mean, in your film, you earlier described that you are like a hunter with a deer. So in your film, you're, you're really trying not to stage things. You're trying not to in instigate things. I'm also, I just want to make clear, I'm not like judging it in any way, the technique or process of staging. Uh, anyway, we were talking about Makala earlier, uh, which is another film that showed here. Uh, I guess it originally premiered last spring at Cannes, and I'm really glad to see it here. And in Makala, we were talking about staging because it, it's a movie that's basically about a guy trying to take a load of, what is it, coal? Sh slate? Charcoal. Charcoal to, to sell somewhere. So he's... He's kind of like one of the like a beetle that's pushing this something that's forty thousand times bigger than him, and it's like it's almost like a parable or something. As as he and and the visuals have the elemental feel, um, but but rock, you felt that you noticed um, that the guy was using, the the filmmaker was using perhaps uh, staging at a certain point for dramatic effect. Uh, that's a long way to go to connect those two films, but here we go. As I understand the the conversation after the screening, he 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 has written the story before he uh, get to know that that particular man, uh, which is also quite obvious from for me from the from the movie because uh, there are all elements that are necessary for having a great drama. Uh, so there are scenes in the movie that if this would be a fiction movie, I would love to have them. So this is making me thinking that actually this is staged. Uh, and from reactions or so-called acting, it would be maybe more interesting to see this movie as a fiction because then I wouldn't have problems why the camera is so close to him and no one is helping him. It's a convention because he's there alone. But now when I know that I'm watching a documentary, which is actually not a documentary, but it's a fiction, I'm constantly asking myself, Okay, the guy is suffering so much here. Why can't you help him a bit? And this is making me changing my, fo my focus to something that is not important, you know? Right. And that, that's why I think that this film would be more, uh, would be stronger if they would simply say it's a fiction based on true events and uh, right. these things are going on. It's just a theory now, and it's three in the morning after four days. <laughs> That's the perfect time for theories. It's the best, the best theories are at 3 a.m. Mm. I mean, I, I like the movie. I like the yeah. movie. But we don't, we don't believe in the word documentary to begin with. Yeah, there's no documentary in the name of our festival. It's called True False Film Fest. So it's, you see. I, I actually... <laughs> I, 
Rock, when I saw your film, it, sorry to do this to you, but when I saw the film at Locarno, uh, your film, The Family, I remember you very like st like being very resistant to the idea of labeling anything a fiction film or a documentary film. So I may be capturing you right now in this like strange like you're being a bit of a hypocrite. If I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna pass the mic back to you to like. <laughs> Tough crowd. Walk is laughing hysterically right now just to describe what is happening at this table. No, no, no. I, I, I'm, I'm still, uh, I, it's still true what, what, I, what I said in Locarno. And, uh, uh, and I would say for, for my film, for the family, no, it's not a documentary. Although it's 100% pure documentary, there is nothing staged there, there's nothing fake there. But uh, I hate this uh, word documentary because it's doing a lot of uh, harm to, to some films because it's in the last years or I don't know last 10, 20 years it, it, it became a label for something uh, really specific but documentaries are a lot more from this uh, specific uh, genre that I hate it's called TV. So you're drawing a distinction between documentary versus non-fiction, for instance? No, uh, for, I think it's better, uh, as we talked uh, a couple of days ago, uh, fiction, non-fiction. Uh, so that's what I'm saying, like you prefer the term non-fiction? I mean, at the end, it's, it's the same shit, but... Uh, yeah, uh, I guess, I, I, I guess the, my question is, is it the, the connotations of the word documentary that you're reacting against? Or was what you were saying is that like you, you don't want your film classified as non-fiction? No, I, I, I will say it on, on case of my film. I used uh, a cinematic language, which is specific for cinema and not for TV. And for me, this is a film. And I love film. I love cinema. And I hate TV because TV is... It's not my cup of tea. I don't hate, but I, I don't. Just, I just don't like it, and uh, I don't like that TV style documentaries are taking over the whole genre of documentaries by labeling something documentary. People immediately think about these kind of films, and my film has nothing in common with those kind of films, and that's why I don't like. The word documentary. I, I'm not if I'm if I'm clear. Please help me. No, no. I mean, I, I think I, I I get your I get your meaning. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's yeah. It's actually really not important, but it's funny. It's like, yeah, it's it's not important and also very important at the same time. You know, because it, it's yeah. It's, yeah, it's uh, three in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's both at the same time. What would you say about this as a I don't know. I feel like the I kind of agree with you that the term documentary has kind of been hijacked by television and that, you know, I feel like it, it is true that a lot of people, you say documentary and they expect Talking Heads, Netflix style doc, documentary. But I feel like there's a whole other side of it, which is what documentary used to be which is an art form, a, a, a cinematographic, uh, yeah, it's cinematographic work and it has an artistic quality to it. And I think that we're, uh, we, we're losing that right now because, and that's why, and I think that's why the term nonfiction is becoming more and more popular to talk about that type of work. But I think that it would be important for the, documentary community or the nonfiction community to kind of reclaim the term documentary because it is you also have to be careful and not associate documentary with truth which is something a lot of people do and I think right now it's very popular to associate immedi Im immediately documentary to truth and personally and the festival I work for uh, we don't believe in that I mean, it's, we call it cinema du réel, right? Which is cinema of the real. That also sounds cooler. That's a cooler t phrase. C cinema du réel? Yeah, <laughs> especially in French. Sounds better. 
I, I should. I don't know. If, I don't know if you guys actually introduced yourself when you when you you came up. Or do you want to be anonymous? Anonymous true false programmers, <laughs> unnamed true false programmers. We did say our festival, I guess. But so I'm Abby. Abby Sun. My name's Chris Bachman. Um, better better late than never. Very good. We've covered a lot of ground. Birth, death. Immigration. I mean, you could learn a lot listening to this, and I think we all have. So I'm going to wind things down here, and I, I appreciate it. So I just want to say a great big thank you to all of our panelists, not all, some of whom have left already. And I want to thank very much Cafe Berlin for hosting Toasted, uh, which will also turn into a film comment podcast episode. So thank you, everyone, for great food, great company, great place, great festival. Thank you, everyone, from the bottom of our hearts. Good night. Godspeed. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast, produced by Violet Luca and Nicholas Rapold, with music by Greg Anji. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth reviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com slash subscribe to purchase a digital or print subscription to the magazine, or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, and Kindle at filmcomment.com slash app. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Grace Jones, Bloodlight and Bammy, an electrifying journey through the public and private worlds of the larger-than-life pop culture mega-icon. Grace Jones, Bloodlight and Bammy is now playing in New York and coming soon to select cities nationwide.